Welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Mergin Brahma, Arnold Bazin and Alexander Chiritescu to discuss leadership's role in fostering a DevOps culture. Before we delve deeper into this topic, we'll start off with some introductions. So Mergin, do you want to kick us off? Thank you, Abby. So Mergin Brahma, I work as an engineer manager at IKEA. Been doing it for the last four years primarily in the financial services and payment area. So nice meeting you all. Amazing, lovely. And Arnold? Yes, hello hello everyone. Um, so I'm Arnold Bazin, working as a software engineering manager at Volvo Course, uh, working with climate software and continuous integration. Uh, spent all my career in the automotive, mostly with mechatronic systems. And uh, yeah, nice to meet you all, guys. Amazing. And then Alex? Hi everyone. Uh, good. Thanks for having me here. And uh, my name is Alexandru Kiritescu or Alex. Um, I'm an engineering manager as well at uh, Platform24. Uh, at Platform24, it's a company doing digital healthcare, uh, a digital healthcare platform, <laughs> working directly with uh, various care providers like hospitals and healthcare regions, insurance companies. And our mission is to basically make healthcare as accessible as possible. And uh, I've been also started as a developer, but for the last five to six years, worked mostly with platform teams in different roles in different companies around Sweden. Amazing, lovely. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, a Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now that we've got a bit of an idea about who who all of you are, we'll get stuck into the questions that you've all prepared. So as usual, we'll make our way around the group, asking your questions and sharing your thoughts on our topic of leadership's role in fostering a DevOps culture. Um, So Mergim, your question is first, and you asked, how can leadership promote understanding and implementation of DevOps, faster feedback loops, empowered product teams, and customer-centric outcomes amongst their teams? So tell us a bit more about your question and the reasons you asked it yes so the, the the core thought process around this question is how can we as leaders enable teams to become more independent at driving change and understanding what it actually provide for the customer uh, what can we enable uh, software engineering teams to do differently to actually shorten for example a feedback loop and empower them enough to actually take care of real customer problems rather than focusing just on a backlog all the time um, to enable this type of activities will empower individuals and engineering teams to innovate much faster is the, the theory at least and i would love to hear your thoughts and thought processes from your companies how this would actually entail mm-hmm. Yeah, if I might, uh, if I might answer first, maybe uh, of, of what I think. Uh, one important word I I got here is empowered team, and um, but I must say that to me, it's there is of course a lot about uh, psych- psychological safety, 
I think it's hard in such, uh, especially in big organization, like to create the climate where, where you your teams can really like take take ownerships, feel like it's it's okay to do mistakes, and not really like, yeah, hindering or slowing down any any processes uh, going in that direction. So yeah, so I would say, I mean, at least from what I see now, is like a, a first cornerstone in in being able to enable teams. Yeah, and maybe to build a bit on top of that, <clears throat> there's actually two aspects. But um, what I wanted to add on that is that um, psychological safety, of course, but I think also maybe a part of this is to be able to have healthy conflicts. Uh, because many times I think people perceive as psychological safety where, you know, everyone, high, shiny, happy people holding hands, everyone agreeing about everything and hugging and, <laughs> and all of that. When I think uh, <clears throat> part of that is that people can also disagree. Uh, directly and transparently and in a good way so without taking personally uh, different things people say or and so on and so forth uh, so that would be one thing but I wanted to mention another thing so um, what I'm thinking here is what uh, what you mentioned you know like the about empowering the teams and so on to and I cannot uh, like we haven't defined what those teams are um, so, like, I think one important uh, thing for leadership to help those teams to be more independent is to structure them in such a way where each team owns a full slice of the product, like end to end. And by that yep. means that they do everything, like maybe not directly everything, everything, but they are, let's say, responsible for everything with regards to that slice. Um, and that includes even contact to the customer, maybe, or maybe through a proxy like the product manager or uh, and so on. So I think that's also a very important aspect, but maybe that was a given, I don't know. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, it's a very nice, nice start of the conversation because the reason why I asked this is because bigger organizations, like you mentioned, have different set of teams setups basically. So Arnold, you talked about having an, uh, an infra team as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you have, you have, if you look into the, team topologies definition streamline teams that work end-to-end and have the entity everything from requirement handling building the back end the front end, and actually exposing it to real customers versus a platform team who enables other teams inside of a company uh, would you see a difference there of how actually to empower the platform team versus a team that has customer output or outcomes in this case yeah yeah, I think that's that's yeah, that's exactly a, a very important point here. I, from what I see in a, in our case or in our industry, um, you can have. I mean, it's important to have like directions set to the team, and I think that's what uh, Alex, what you what you kind of m- mentioned before, like uh, who owns which slice in that case, and what the slice means, because I, I think one. One big enabler as well is like uh, awareness, right? And uh, you be you need to be aware of what uh, what teams you are in, what's your delivery, but also in the end, what's your current condition. I think we we talked about fast feedback loop, uh, or or even I would push that to having some some data insight as well. I think you need to understand where you are, what are. Um, yeah, the key enablers that you need to put in place where you need to improve um, and all that kind of stuff. And then, okay, what's what's the next step I take? 
and and maybe conduct like a few experiments like to to get there and uh, and maybe coming back to celebrating successes and and failures and that's obviously uh, has a strong link to how how the team is defined so usually there are some practices i saw which which kind of um, start with like setting the visions of the team like the missions and the purpose why you are a team because of course that 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 will differ <laughs> definitely a lot and and i mean as we said uh, or as you have might seen i mean devops can be a kind of buzzword and we can uh, i mean we can put a lot of things yeah. behind <laughs> that so <laughs> yes yeah that's, for sure. that's true so yeah so it's important i think yeah definitely to to define what's what's your team about and what do you want them to reach or what do they want to reach i mean maybe asking them is a good thing yeah and uh, actually to build again on top of that <laughs> and refer to also what what you mentioned in the beginning or maybe on your second continuation question about platform teams yep. uh, i think specifically to platform teams is that we should try to to treat platform teams in the same way we treat um let's say business facing uh, teams so like treat platforms as products I think that's a very uh, sort of a big difference that I think it's kind of lacking in general um, because platforms, they end up being this stuff that people need and they come asking to this team. But usually these teams are formed in an ad hoc way without like a clear vision and mission initially. <laughs> it's just like people asking for stuff and then people trying to fulfill that. <clears throat> but what are they actually doing? And that's where a lot of people kind of don't have an, an answer like yeah they do pipelines or i don't know uh, monitoring or deployments or stuff yeah <laughs> i really i really appreciate what you said there about actually uh, emphasizing on the aspect why platform teams exist and one way to do that is to continue what arnold said is about actually spending time on creating a vision for that specific platform uh, why the team does exist, because if you are uncertain about the existence, that itself will create a non-safety environment for a future for the engineers in that setup, which then have a ripple effect of actually working and maintaining and and improving the, the capabilities they are building. So mm. what I have done in my experience, at least, because I have driven a platform at Inca, at IKEA, what we did was did exactly that. We try to define a scope of the platform with an X as a service contract approach where internal consumers became our customers and visualizing data then in terms of how often do they use our APIs, uh, how much, how often are we getting change requests versus of how much outcomes are we providing them in terms of new capabilities. Um, and that itself made my team more, more energetic in building topics driving them end-to-end -end and deploying them faster. Um, so around the metrics that you said, there is something I actually always turn to, and I love it, is the, the software delivery performance metrics that mm. I tend to use, and that is uh, for mm. team-specific actions, right? So it's the frequency mm. of deployments, the, the lead time for a change or a cycle time from commit to, to release, uh, how often do you break a release, and so on. And the nice part is that you can use some of this metrics or uh, this data to also show the value that this team is providing to the people who Correct. maybe don't know exactly what that team is doing. I mean, 
<clears throat> sometimes you need to do that. You need to show the value that this team and translate it in some kind of numbers or metrics that everyone can understand. Because yeah. I feel like there's always a separation when <clears throat> when we talk about this kind of technical teams. That okay, the engineers understand what they're doing, what this this supporting teams are doing. But sometimes, so in different parts of the organization, it's very unclear what exactly they're doing. And maybe explaining is kind of hard for non-technical people. But if you have some kind of metrics which are universal, uh, then you know that that's easy to tell a story. Like, what is your team doing? Like, well, we make deployments faster, uh, or we empower developers to work uh, ten times faster. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just coming with. Uh, <laughs> no, exactly. Developer random. experience is key, right? So it needs mm -hmm. to be. Needs, needs to be visualized very clearly for, for internal organizations. Um, I would also push on that uh, in terms of that's the technical part, but then you also have the, the actual management part of it. Like what type of management culture or leadership culture is required to enable this type of activities on company mm, level? Good question. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking at the same time, but I think it's, uh, it's, I mean, I don't think like all organization started with DevOps. So, so maybe when, when key things is not like to dare to change, I would say, um, I, I think it, you can easily come to a situation where you want to have uh, your development and operation teams together. And sometimes as we, as we mentioned a bit more, that's not actually the problem. Most of the time is like the difference between DevOps team and platform teams. That's where the misunderstanding lies the most, I think. So you can, um, <clears throat> you can have all set of skills uh, yeah, and implement that in your organization. But I think you need also to be willing for the change, which um, which uh, which is probably also a big step, like from a, from a leadership perspective, because mm. because that's key. I mean, if if <clears throat> if you don't believe it in yourself, I mean, your teams will see that, and I don't think they will they will follow or trust that kind of uh, that kind of leadership. So yeah. I would see that as a big enabler too. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I would I, I would argue to even go further and not separate the DevOps teams from a platform team in this case. Mm -hmm. uh, because a platform team should be a DevOps team. Uh, mm -hmm. because they do own the, the the running part of it as well as the implementation part of it, just like any other end-to-end -end stream aligned team in this case. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah that's super important because that's where I think a lot of engineers do tend to fall back on. Oh, I, I'm a part of the infrastructure enablement team. That's it. <laughs> Nothing fancy or cool about that. But to be honest, is th those enabler teams are the, the core foundation of any company structure. Mm, true. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's important to realize this uh, these things. Uh, and like, this actually ties in with my question, but I think we're going to discuss that later on. We're starting with a, a few spoilers there, Alex, but... <laughs> 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 They're all connected, so <laughs> it's very true. Um, but we will move on to Arnold's question next. And you asked what traits should leaders adopt for a successful cult, uh, DevOps culture transformation, and how can they shift to a servant leader mindset while ensuring team readiness? So tell us a bit more about your question. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and as we said, I feel now all things are more and more connected. But um. Yeah, I mean, the, the background was like, we, we touched the point that, yeah, de DevOps is not only like a, a role or a skill set, but it's also like a, a cultural transformation. 
where you need to have like collaboration, uh, automation, uh, improvement mindset, and we said psychological safety uh, right before. And, and you need to do uh, a lot of time those kind of changes at different level of the of the organization. And uh, especially it's it's more challenging, I would say, when you have had a past organization uh, that didn't work uh, DevOps uh, or had the DevOps culture from the beginning. So um, the background of my question was basically that, I mean, you are trusted, let's say, as, as a leader, like to, to foster that culture and to lead those changes. And uh, yeah, and and basically, what what do you think uh, would be the like the key traits to adopt to adopt as a leader? Like how you should behave, or what are the aspects you should focus on? What kind of uh, soft skills you have to do? And 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 putting a bit of of uh, twist to that is how to uh, lead those changes and make them happening while still being a servant leader because I, I'm completely convinced at least that that you if you push too hard for change or force changes they might not happen so yeah I would like to to hear a bit about it and what kind of prerequisite do you see on your side mm. yeah I guess there's a lot of stuff to unpack here but uh <clears throat> like first of all I think leaders should see the need of this switch like uh, like I think everyone should agree on what it means and what are people trying to achieve, because you know I've seen many discussions and I've been part of her <laughs> through the years in companies where you know uh, we said yeah we need to be whatever you know now we're in the DevOps age but there used to be other ages before and uh, yeah we want to be whatever you know. And then everyone's like, yes, we must be like that. And what does that mean? Well, it's a bit more complicated. And sometimes it doesn't really end up <laughs> like <laughs> what people thought, you know. So <clears throat> I think it's always important when you start on this journey to define what what are we trying to achieve and like for what are the benefits, you know. Uh, because I've seen some transformations at scale. And I think this is maybe more problematic at scale. Maybe everything is harder at scale. Um, because when you have a larger company, you know, you have the leaders who are active in different levels, but then you have the company structure. So sometimes being having all the leaders in the right places uh, doing the right things is not, uh, not enough. You need, to, you need to change a bit the structure of the company as well. Um, I like that you say that because um, we've been working quite, quite hands-on with something, with the book DevOps Handbook, right? Mm -hmm. and uh, and team topologies and this is a typical thing coming up all the time that we have seen in practice as well is that if you want to drive change change the culture and the communication flows before you try to rebuild a system as the the system will then actually represent the communication flow of the area um so with that, I, my first thought would have been here then to, to emphasize the DevOps culture transformation. Like you said, rightfully, it's DevOps is both a career path in today's environment, but also a, a new agile culture that people or companies want to, to implement up down. We should be DevOps driven. What does that actually entail uh, <laughs> for the teams in this case? Um, for, for me personally, it's about removing barriers for engineers, removing that that uncertainty on driving topics end to end, always asking for approval and these different types of approval flows to test things. Um, 
enable faster feedback loops, which I already talked about, but that it, that itself is, is a key takeaway here. Do A-B tests, allow them to work, to work directly with their own result of their implementation. Uh, mm. And what I can do as a servant leader is just remove the barriers that are dragging them out of their focus area uh, to allow them to try and, and fail safely and learn by the mistakes. I mean, that's how we, we adopt to a changing environment. Mm. Yeah, I yeah I really relate to to the last part you you say like uh, removing barriers like to to execution. Uh, I think that's that's probably what what's what slow down uh, teams or organization. But of course, if you had uh, imagine like a, a lot of uh, way of handling things, which which needs to be changed as we mentioned before, and uh, what uh, we want to achieve. Uh, mm. Yeah, then of course you cannot reuse the same processes, or you will have new new barriers all the time. And um, how how then would you uh, make sure, I guess, to to prioritize that as a leader? Because obviously that's probably not the only thing you would have to do on on your plate. So how how would you how would you approach uh, that? Mm. Um, yeah, as a leader, go ahead. No, go uh, ahead. Alex. Go ahead. I was thinking thinking out loud, so maybe I should just yeah, we're all doing that anyway. allow you. Yeah, we do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, but to remove barriers for for engineering teams um, as a servant leader, and to allow them to run rather than crawl in this case, uh, how to do that? Well, my first thing would be to to limit the information flow to the team coming from my end in this case, and allowing them to to focus on what we touched on before is the the strategy or the outcomes that they're trying to build for solve that customer problem rather than looking into the the organizational what's and how's we are supposed to do things uh, otherwise we can end up in the fall fall loop of doing things as previously without actually changing um, i've tried it i've tried it with discovery sessions in my area so we actually enable outcome driven work by allowing engineers to join a more higher group of people in terms of discovery work, continuous discovery work, mm. where we test hypothesis driven work with UX data product and engineering. So to, to shorten the lead time and to get them to understand that they are empowered to drive change as long as it drives an outcome for our end users. Maybe to spell it differently, what you're just saying right now, because I think uh, this is connected to faster feedback loops and what you mentioned about A-B testing and so on. I think one important aspect is to focus on the value that they provide. I think that's a big change and not just do things because you have to do things. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of discussions now uh, in the in the media about different companies that say, hey, you know what, uh, <clears throat> we now have too many people because we have a lot of people who are doing things, but maybe they're not really providing value. So, um, so I think that's also interesting to always keep your to keep your eyes on the prize. So, um, you know, you can be perfectly good at delivering stuff that doesn't bring any value. Like the old uh, <clears throat> discussion that it's, let me see if I get this right. Uh, it's better to do the right thing wrong than doing the wrong thing right. So uh, <laughs> it's been uh, some <clears throat> some guy, I think Ras Ekov, I think he's dead right now. Uh, but he, he, he posted this, uh, he was a specialist on system, uh, what is it called? Um, system thinking. So he, 
mm. he came up with this uh, quote yeah. some time ago, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think it's good to also uh, think about that uh, in general, like to encourage the teams to focus on the on the value. And I also think that sometimes, um, you know, someone I think uh, Megan, you also said in the beginning that uh, you know have these teams that have the front end and the back end and everything. Well, in really large companies, sometimes you cannot have such a big teams that uh, that can handle everything. Yeah. And some of them they yeah. just handle the front end maybe. But still, I, I, th I still think there's a lot of, they still have a product there, even though it doesn't seem like, you know, it's like the full product and, and so on and so forth. They still have some customers and they still have a product that they can relate to and where you can. Uh, so sometimes the world is not as ideal as, you know, uh, as we would like to, to have it where, you know, you have front and back and everything and you can go and talk to your customers directly and so sometimes there's a the gradient but i still think that the principles stay it's just that there are different levels mm, yeah i guess it would be perfect to have everything by by the book all the time but uh, <laughs> i think we we click quickly forget about that um but um, is different yeah it is and, and i think I think, as you said, now with with backend and frontend, uh, may, maybe one one thing's important as a leader is also to like su support the the collaboration between those backend and and frontend and teams. And, and maybe I don't know, maybe that should be where you can uh, prioritize your barrier removal, uh, as we mentioned mm -hmm. before. Because yeah, especially for for a large company, but I think it's true for all of them that if the product end-to-end -end is so big you will have those kind of silos and, and and to me like devops culture is about break, breaking silos and thinking differently so so yeah probably that's at least in, in the way you you said it and in the way i would approach uh, that now is really to focus maybe on that um, on that area as well and like again on the scale part and uh, you know removing obstacles and so on for product teams, uh, if we if we for this time don't include platform teams in the product teams, <laughs> like one thing to do is to actually build great platforms so that you know the product teams, they you know they focus more on the on their special little problem they're solving. Maybe it's a little bit exactly. different, but I think exactly. that is another important aspect. Like if you want them to go faster, then build great platforms that they mm. that support them. And that removes a lot of cognitive load for the developers also, right? So yeah, for sure. Not caring about how it works downstream as long as you care about your own isolation of product and solving your problem statement because uh, you can trust your your lower level uh, platforms with any any type of contract that you have with that type of team to provide the necessary scaled architecture and services that you are requiring for this. Yeah. May it, well, may it abstraction. be. Uh, I think abstraction shouldn't be complete. Uh, there's nope. always, I think, a balance there, but uh, there's benefits for for doing the abstraction for sure. Yeah, we we usually had those kind of initiative uh, saying that if if you remove time uh, for a developer or a platform team to to write code or to develop their product, that, then you are doing something wrong. So <laughs> what we are usually trying <laughs> to do is is that yeah, whatever whatever actions that might might require them to to remove focus on delivering value uh, that that should be avo avoided at, at all cost or at least the intention should be should be that way um, and, and of course it, it also mean like you don't want to have mix like like a 
developer team focusing on fixing some platform issues. I mean, that's that's probably not where they would spend the, the most of their value. So yeah, making mm-hmm. sure the the right part of the organization focus on on their value value addition that might be a key a key aspect as well here. Yeah, for sure. Abi, um, you're gonna say something, or no? Have you guys anything else you wanted to add to that point? I, I wanted to add one more point, and uh, maybe to make it like a cynical point uh, in a way. <laughs> uh, but don't you don't you don't you think that generally the usability of internal platforms is way worse than the ones that are destined for customers? This is related to what you said, I know earlier. Like, you know, <clears throat> you want to you want to uh, add more time for developers or engineers. Everyone is okay for for the product, the the business facing engineers. Um, to have more time to focus on the product. And yet the pattern that I see quite commonly is that the tools that they need to use in their daily work, they're most of the time, or many times, not as quality nor qualitative as the ones that end customers get to enjoy. Yeah, that's why we don't release them to customers, right? <laughs> we don't want them no. to suffer. <laughs> yeah. No, but but I agree. I mean, I think you, I mean, it's a fast changing environment for sure. So you you probably want to have like patch sets and uh, and quick and easy fix, so you can uh, you can develop and have this continuous flow happening. But of course, I mean you. You use this tool to develop your your customer software, or in the end, so they better be as as good as possible. Otherwise, you yeah, you are just asking people to yeah to hit nails with with something else than a hammer, which which is probably not the right thing to do. No, but I, I guess it's the reason for that. Just as a last comment, Abby, sorry, uh, is uh, the the risk that you have and. Uh, intertwine with platform teams in terms of continuous delivery what if you're breaking an api and you're going to to actually notify all of your consumers that you have a version 2 on its way without backwards compatibility and so forth so the architecture that you're building around needs to actually enable that type of continuous delivery approach for platform teams Um, as you become the middle layer between what's actually business facing and lower streams. Yeah, I totally agree that. Yeah. It should be as smooth and self-service as possible. Otherwise, you're going to be a bottleneck, the biggest bottleneck of the company. <laughs> Man, makes sense. Yeah, thanks. Nice. Well, no need to apologize to me for not hopping in. I want to make sure you guys say everything you want. Um, and we'll move on to Alex, your question now. Um, and you asked, how can leadership facilitate the hiring process for engineers on platform teams and make it more efficient and effective? So tell us a bit more about your question. Yeah, it's it's a little bit like a very specific question, like you deep, deep, dive deep in the um you know, uh, in a very like detail. But basically what I'm noticing is that, especially when you're hiring for infra platform teams, it's very hard to find people. And uh, uh, like, I have some ideas why that might have be happening. Like, for example, like you start asking yourself, where are these people coming from? Like, you don't study this stuff in uh, universities or so people who do, do computer science or uh, they don't, I don't, at least as far as I know, I don't think this is being taught anywhere. Um, and well, actually, I think I know in Stockholm, so I heard something about uh, teaching uh, KTH, some stuff about DevOps, but I'm not 100% sure. But um, 
<clears throat> or it's, if it's still valid. Uh, so that's one thing, like how, where do these people come from? Um, like, it's very hard. They actually have to, I don't know, transition from other roles uh, or, yeah, it's a bit difficult. And second point that I think it's related to this, and we already touched on this, is like um, this, in, this work is not very attractive because like <clears throat> when people talk about software development, they only talk about, you know, Java, JavaScript, TypeScript, UX, uh, all of these things, right? Like nobody yeah. talks about YAML, Kubernetes, uh, Jenkins, or whatever is the latest uh, thing that does this stuff. Like there's nobody like, yes, I love it. Uh, yes, this is the best thing ever. Um, yeah, I, I love doing tickets <laughs> um, to to improve our pipelines and, and so on and so forth. So um, I think that might be also a reason and it's connected a little bit to well, we mentioned earlier that we don't really see this thing as products, but I would love to hear your your uh, you know opinion and input. I have one direct input in this, and this comes very fresh out of an empowered training we had at IKEA for a few a few weeks oh, ago. Oh, do tell. Um, recruit with strategy basically was the first thing that they told us. So your vision and strategy for the area use that a lot in the recruitment process. Uh, rather than a uh, blueprint of the technicalities of the role itself. So to make sure that the candidates actually understand the impact they will have in the assignment that they're looking for. Uh, obviously, that does that in a hybrid solution of that together with a competence profile is needed to be able to have a, a fast screening process. But that entailed a lot of aha moments for me that to do it that way because then you're actually getting the right candidates for the job rather than someone that is just looking for a job or getting that the passion behind the, the change that they're looking for in their assignment. And then, of course, the second point where I wanted to deep dive even further around this thing you said about that people like this don't have the, the necessary background for it when they search for the job and so forth. Uh, I can I can just plus one on the comment around the educational systems, not providing the latest and greatest all the time and the importance behind it. But that must then companies, I, I see that companies need to, to focus on continuous learning, just like continuous delivery that we were talking just a few minutes ago. Have continuous learning and allow people to learn on the job as well and build up the capabilities. Uh, we run internal graduate programs and I think that has been so great for us to actually develop the next generation software engineers or platform engineers, system engineers even. Mm. Um, that's where yeah. I saw the biggest benefit of it, at least. Mm. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. Uh, I wanted to add to, to what you said that it's it's important to to lay the, the foundation, I think. I mean, why why you need, uh, what is your strategy? Why, why, you, why you need DevOps? Yeah, of, of course you need a set of, of skills, but, but I mean, is a, is a question like, do you need all of them? Which one do you need? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be technical or soft skill, but like do a, do a screening of, of your team, maybe have a dialogue with them. Okay, if, if, if that would be our strategy, because hopefully they are already in and uh, they trust you for that and they are empowered to, to, to support the strategy you have in the company. Uh, yeah, asking, asking yourself like, okay, what kind of competence I'm actually needing? Because I, I assume that 
uh, again, uh, DevOps being being a, a buzzword, sometimes you, you you could find like people looking for a DevOps job, but but yeah, m- maybe you need I don't know someone who is more specialized in in automation, someone who who knows data science a lot and can really show those metrics to, uh, to the metrics we mentioned before, like the deployment frequency, the lead time from from a commit to to deploy and, and that kind of stuff. So maybe that's that's the only part you need to focus on. You don't need necessarily to have someone who have the full skill set from from A to Z. So maybe that would be one thing I, w- I was thinking to to add, uh, like like to think about it. And um, and in the end, maybe what what you mentioned at the very beginning that it's it might not sound like an attractive job, but 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 I guess asking 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 why not not saying I like all the all those tools you mentioned before. <laughs> Because I don't. No, I'm kidding. But uh, but I mean, it's yeah. Really make them uh, understanding that this is a key strategic product, as uh, the ones we release to the customer. Like let's say our plat- platform team delivering frameworks, tool sets, and all that. I mean, that's also key key strategic enablers. So if you manage to sell that at some point and believe in that, then I guess you could you could kind of ease the the hiring process. Uh, the yeah, I like I like the, what you proposed. Like, uh, <clears throat> so what if I would be to kind of reformulate some parts what you said, uh, I know, is uh, n- because maybe you won't be able to find precisely the people with the specific skills and all that twenty years of experience in I don't know what tool that showed up yesterday. Um, then you kind of need to search more like for aptitudes rather than or attitudes mm. and. Uh, rather than skills like you know you check the box uh, mm. like to be more and i also to your point again i know is that or your second point um to promote the <clears throat> the mission and the vision and the strategy you have and like uh you know make obvious the impact this team has on the organization and maybe on the final customers uh like part of yep. the presentation for that um job description yep. maybe and to add something on maybe rewarding a bit what you again said um i read this uh, book at some point it's called higher with your head from uh, this guy who uh, lou adler and he has a very sort of sophisticated framework for hiring people but one of the things that i recall from what he says is that you know when you write the job description stop focusing on what the people the person should have uh, so stop focusing on what they should have like Two years of experience of this, uh, master's degree, uh, uh, I don't know, and so on. And focus on what they're expected to do. So like switch the thinking from list of uh, skills to actually list of outcomes. And uh, I actually have seen uh, some after a while, I've seen job description that says, you know, in the first uh, six months, we expect you to do this, this and that. After a year, we expect you to do this, this and that. They don't focus so much on the... Like, oh, the list. Oh, the person looks at that. Oh, but I, I only have one year of Java yeah. experience. Ah, oh, this means that I'm not right for this. I mean, I would I would love to work in such a team and, and so on. And it changes the conversation to actually, oh, oh, I think I can do that. I, I don't know a lot of Java now, but you know, I, I can I can definitely do that in a year and I feel like I could learn and then be that person that you're searching for. Um, exactly. So I think that's, uh, and I think this ties to what we were saying before as well about, uh, you know, seeing things as products. Uh, Because I think people are motivated more when they think that they're doing something towards some kind of purpose. And like you're saying, okay, we have this strategy, 
and we are building this amazing product that empowers the organization and this is what the features are and it's going to be great and developers are going to love it and um, I think that's that's also part of it. Uh, I think the parts that we can change like uh, the parts related to education I mean I don't know maybe one of us or a few of us can become teachers uh, or maybe we are I don't know about you but maybe one of you is already doing this uh, become teachers, be involved in university, and like change the world. Mm, yeah, I yeah I, I agree. I mean, and one thing underlying what you say is that not having all the skills or all the aptitude is okay, uh, considering that if you if you hire someone to have like a open mindset to learn. I mean, especially for such a fast. Uh, fast-paced environment that we, that we are in i mean i guess it's probably better to have someone who is always willing to learn and spend time to to yes. yeah to learn new things new tools whether rather than waiting for a i don't know cinderella coming with uh, 10 10 15 years of experience in java i mean Maybe that would be obsolete in one year, let's say. So maybe you would need an, another another set of skills, and then you will be completely changing. So, and I guess that would affect also your vision, your strategy, and and the motivation you put if you keep changing your priorities as well. So, yeah, probably willing to learn that could be that could be a thing also to to consider. Yeah, you search for Cinderella with the shoe, and what you yeah. get is Pippi Longstrom. You know that. Pippi has these shoes, which are like three more sizes bigger than her foot. And I think that's actually a good thing. This is what we're saying. We're searching for Pippi, not for Cinderella. Because the shoe might that might not fit precisely. But it will get like, you know, uh, it will be a good fit anyway. Yeah. So it's it's good, good, nice comment. I really like that one. <laughs> Especially been growing up with Pippi on, on television. I, I can tell you that. Uh, no, but... It's also, I would say it's also impacting on which level you are in the recruitment process or how big your team is. Or you're building a team from the ground up will obviously have different requirements depend versus mid midway through a life cycle or in the end of a life cycle. I guess it's more forgiving to have an attitude, a less competent, more learned attitude in, in later in the process versus in the beginning where you need to build a foundation. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, the, the 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 complexity of making people work together. That itself is is a, a branch of its own that you need to focus on. Because uh, personally, I rather take them. I guess there's this matrix that is so famously shown everywhere, where um, what is it? Mid competent, high energetic, willing to learn individuals will always outperform a team where you have one expert and the rest with a bad attitude together with the rest of the team being very driven but not having the competence profile needed yeah for sure yeah i agree with you it matters the stages of the of the team uh, what you're searching for because like you said you want maybe a more senior uh, uh, pioneer <laughs> uh, that can that can set the uh, you know uh, set the base the grounds and then maybe hire another one maybe around the senior and so on and then you can more open maybe to more junior people with maybe less uh, you know experience or like imp like um, opinions about how things should be uh, should be done and then then maybe that's easier to find still 
But uh, still, I guess it's difficult because you need to <clears throat> understand exactly what you're searching for. For sure. Uh, so it's all right. Yeah. But yeah, that sounds like uh, Arnaud. Did you have some, some more thoughts on this? No, I was just thinking of uh, of one thing uh, which which we I think we we are trying to say that yeah it's also important to consider that that you need changes all the time so it's not only about the aspect of the team but you need also to consider that the the stage the team is in will change as well over time so I guess that could be also something attracting for for people like to know that there are uh, opportunities to change um there is a saying which was uh, if i remember well if like yeah if you re there is a paradox that if you recruit someone who is good at, at automation uh, then in the end that person will not feel needed like anymore when you have everything automated right so so yeah <laughs> how do you how do you cope with that i guess it's by offering this perspective that things will evolve change and there are opportunity to grow uh, differently which which might be attractive to to many many people in the end. So you don't have to make yourself redundant. That's crazy. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we've got into the end of the questions that you all wanted to ask. But has anyone got any follow up questions or anything else that they wanted to pose to the group? No, I think it's we covered we covered it pretty much. I mean, I guess it's a topic we could do a, a series of uh, Henry Post <laughs> podcast about that, for sure, which, for sure. <laughs> which is for sure. But uh, you know, I think for today we we covered quite a lot. Yeah, same here. And so. they're all connected, so perfect nice well we'll definitely get episode two booked in then after this <laughs> um but for now we'll leave it there this has been another episode of the evolution exchange podcast i just want to take this opportunity to thank mergim arnold and alex for joining us on this episode and sharing your insights um, if you're listening and want to get involved in one of our upcoming episodes you can reach out to me on linkedin or by email at abby.stokes at evolution-nordics.com see you next time